By the way, I like that apps in the laps. That's, you should coin that. That's, that's good. So, um, yes, also uh, last week when we were taught from the Word uh, about this concept, this reality, that God has designed us uniquely, given us gifts and passions and talents to serve Him, to build up the church, Doug had a bunch of these blocks made up out of two-by-fours to remind us that it's to him, for him, and by him, and that we are like uh, two-by-fours in the hands of the Lord as he builds his church. So the good news from last week, or sorry, the bad news from last weekend is we ran out of these as reminders. The good news is we have more that were made. And so if you didn't get one, if you weren't here, whatever it is, you can grab this as a reminder of how God has made us to serve him at the gazebos out in the courtyard. So, as uh, Tony said, my name is Ryan. I uh, get the opportunity once in a while to share God's word, and um, I'm so thankful for another opportunity. I hope you guys are excited to continue to worship the Lord through the scriptures. And so, if you haven't turned there yet, our main passage is going to be John chapter 2 is where we're going to be. John chapter 2. And we've been making a declaration for the last so many months in our sermons about our attitude towards the scriptures. And so we're gonna do that once again right now. If you mean this from your heart, feel free to say this with me. Here we go. This is God's word, his heart revealed. I humbly declare his ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I will not lean on my own understanding, but incline my heart now to receive his word so that I may excel still more in filling the earth with his glory by walking in his truth and loving all people as he has loved me. May that be our attitude in our prayer today as we're about to dive into the word, not just to be hearers of it, but also to be doers of the word. And so I wanna throw out a hypothetical situation, a story that has a point into what we're gonna say today and look at in the scriptures. So let's hypothetically say that because Foles is back, the Jags start winning every game the rest of the season. In fact, they make it to the wild card playoff round. So as a church, we're excited about that. We decide, hey, we're going to throw a watch party over at the table, the coffee shop, just like the one going on next week. By the way, we're all invited to that. But we're going to throw a party for this, and we all show up. We're wearing our Jags uh, gear, and we're cheering them on, and they win that round. So we think, well, let's have another party next week for the next round of the playoffs. We all show up, got all of our Jags gear on, we're cheering, and they pull it off again. So what's next? The next week would be the AFC Championship game. We're thinking, hey, let's not stop there. We're gonna have a party, watch party at the coffee shop again. Now, of course, probably they're gonna be playing who else but the Patriots. And if you're a Patriots fan, love you, that's all I gotta say. And, um, and so, but hey, we all show up, we got our Jag stuff on, we are rooting for them. But the Patriots pull out an old play of Deflategate again, and they cheat. <laughs> Hypothetical, of course. And they cheat, and they beat the Jags. So we are clearly not happy, but we're thinking, okay, as a church, we are going to, two weeks from now, it's the Super Bowl. Let's still, let's have a party, a watch party. So we decide to have one. Now, it is not verbally said, but it is clear non-verbally. No one's going to show up and cheer for the team that just cheated to beat our team, okay? So the night comes around. 
we arrive, everybody's got their Jag stuff on, just in light of the team. But anyway, we show up, but I come and I'm wearing Patriots jersey. And I am, I, I see someone's gonna throw something at me, no, right? Hypothetical, right? But now here's my question. Am I a real, legit Jags fan, yes or no? I am offended. This is church, for goodness sake. I mean, I, I spent most of the season, I was cheering for him. Doesn't that count? I spent a lot of money on my Jags gear. Doesn't that count? I, I mean, the Jags and I, we had a great relationship going on. When they won, I was getting satisfaction out of their winning. Doesn't that count? No, right? Maybe I'm a fake fan. Now, that's fun. But here's a more serious question. If Jesus were asked about my faith and your faith in him, would he say it's a real fixed faith or is it a fake faith? It's a hard question. Serious, right? But it's, it's needed to be asked. You might be saying, well, why are we even talking about that? What, what's going on? I'd say there's a couple reasons why today. First of all, because just honestly, recently, there have been some pretty public people who are in, called themselves Christians, who have recanted their faith in Christ. And so I'm a big person. I love to address things. I don't hide from things. It's like, here, here's this going on, right? And some people might say, was it, was it real? Was it, I don't get this. What's going on? Well, another reason, even more important than that, is that God himself in the Bible told us through Paul this. Check this out. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? You see, God is lovingly trying to help us to understand something is that there is a real fixed saving faith in him, but there is another version of a fake faith in Jesus that exists. And he is in love telling us through Paul saying, hey, if you claim to know Christ, you need to examine your faith compared to the scriptures of what a real saved person looks like versus someone who is fake. Does that make sense? And so what I wanna do today is to dive into the scriptures about this concept and invite all of us to humble ourselves between us and the Lord and evaluate if we claim to be a Christian, does our faith look like what the scriptures say it should? Now remember and realize, I do not say, think of the person next to you, right? It's not a, oh, I think they, you know, you know it's, it's us, right? Us before the Lord, where does my faith lie? So let's jump in, in an event that's going on with Jesus in the gospel of John chapter two, verse 23. Here's what happens. Now, when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, the Jews worshiped and gathered multiple times a year to worship Yahweh, God, at these feasts. Uh, here at this specific moment, this is the first of three years of Jesus' ministry there in Israel. 
And just days before this, he has overthrown tables at the temple because people were coming, worshiping God, but yet not. They were coming for uh, selfish and greedy reasons and extortion was going on. The worship of God was ruined kind of thing. So that just happened days before this. And it says that Jesus is there. And then what happened? Many believed in his name, observing his signs, which he was doing. The word signs, another name for that word for that is miracles, supernatural things. And so John doesn't say exactly what they were here, but the point is he's doing supernatural things in Jerusalem. It's catching people's attention. They're looking and what was their response? They believed in his name. And was it just a handful of people? No, many believed in Jesus's name. So that's pretty cool when you think about it. But what was Jesus's response? Look at the next verse. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. What is going on here, Jesus? Why is he responding this way? Now, the Apostle John, it's really cool how he did this as he is recording these things. And he uses some grammatical wordplay to make a point. Here's what he's doing. It's the word entrust in verse 23 and 24 that these people entrust. So in the Greek, it's pistuo. It means to believe or trust. And in verse 23, John writes, many epistusan in his name. Many people believed or entrusted themselves in Jesus' name. But then verse 24, but Jesus did not epistusen in them or believe in them. Here's the point of what John is saying is that many believed in Jesus, but Jesus did not believe in the many. It's a wordplay, but the point there is being made. Many believed in Jesus, but Jesus did not believe in the many. Ouch. Jesus, what is going on? Are you, are you being mean to the crowd? I mean, are you playing a religious version of hard to get? I mean, they're believing in you. I mean, what more do you want? What's happening? I mean, if you think about it, if people, a lot of people kept coming to CFC here and, and they didn't claim to know Christ, but now they hear the gospel and they're they're believing in his name, as this text says, and, and we're seeing our church grow and people getting saved. I would hope we're getting excited about that, right? But Jesus isn't getting excited. What's wrong with Jesus here? Now, before I answer that, let me just, hopefully this will be helpful for you. This is something I've learned along the way in my journey with following Christ. I used to ask a lot, what's wrong with Jesus as I'm reading a text? What's wrong with God when I'm reading a certain part of the Bible? What's wrong with the Bible kind of thing? And then along the way, I've come to realize this. If I think there's a problem in something I'm reading in the Bible, guess what? The problem's not God. The problem's not Jesus. The problem's not the Bible. The problem's with me. Because scientists tell me, I guess as a human, we only use up to 10% of our brain anyways. Some of you might say I use less than that, but anyway, I love you too. As my wife smiles, love you. But the point is, is that even if I used all 100% of my brain, I'm still a finite creature. I'm here today, gone tomorrow. I am not that smart. 
And what I've come to realize, and you're going to have this when we study the Bible, there's going to be things we're going to say, I don't get this. What's going on? But let me just encourage you right now. The problem's not Jesus. The problem's not the Bible. And the problem's not God. The problem's us. And so we just want to say, okay, I don't understand, but I'm going to keep studying and figuring this out. And, um, and it's helped me a lot. So what's going on, Jesus? Why are you not excited? Here's what he's doing. This is what Jesus is saying. He didn't count these people as real, true followers of him. And the reason why, again, is in the text. It's because Jesus on his part was not entrusting to them. Why? Because he knew all men. The end of it. Because he himself knew what was in man. Because he knew what was in people is why he wasn't counting them as true believers. Now, how does Jesus know what's in people? Because what that's saying is Jesus knew the minds and the thoughts of people. Now, Marvel is awesome, but it's not real, okay? So people can't read people's minds. But that's what's going on here is that Jesus could. So how, how, how could he know what's in people's minds in this crowd? So there's a couple answers to that. One, Jesus, though, is not just a man. Jesus is also God. God knows the minds and the thoughts of people. Therefore, he could know the thoughts of this crowd, for instance, because of that. But also, generally speaking, Jesus knew the hearts and what was in people because he read his Bible, the Old Testament. In other words, God, who doesn't know the hearts of all people, made us all, has written in the scriptures to all of us certain facts about how we're all made and what's inside of us as human beings. So let me share with you just four verses about what's inside all of us as human beings, okay? So here's one, what's inside of us? Jeremiah 17, nine. The heart is a beautiful thing. No, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, who can understand it? Yeah, that's kind of depressing, okay? Uh, what else can we learn about the heart of all people? Well, this is an evil in all that is done under the sun. Yet the same event happens to all. And hear this, and also the hearts of the children of man are just sweet and innocent and cute. No, right? The hearts of the children of man are full of evil. And madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. Wow, this is not encouraging, is it? This is depressing. Okay, that's Old Testament though. Jesus, help us out. What's inside of us? For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander to name a few things that come out of our hearts as human beings. Ah, and then we'll have one more because I can't take much more. 1 Corinthians 3.18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Here's what God's saying. Listen, because of your sinful nature, you are evil, depraved, even the kids, like you, you are fools in the way you think. Like we don't have a lot of good stuff going on inside of us because of our sin. That's what's inside of us. So when Jesus, when it says he knew what was in man, he knew that specific crowd, but he also knew the general way that we work in our sin is as quickly as we can say we're going to do one thing, we're changing our mind and doing another thing. He knew that, that we were fickle and that this crowd was fickle. And there he was saying is this, is that there can be a fake kind of faith. In fact, when you study in the Gospel of John, you just fast forward four chapters later. That's chapter two. You go to chapter six and listen to what Jesus says to the crowd. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs or miracles, but because you ate 
of the loaves and were filled. Jesus had just done, got done feeding the 5,000. And what here Jesus is saying is this, the only reason you're following me is because of stuff I can give you. I fed your stomach, I healed your diseases, you're in this for yourself only. And in so many words, Jesus is saying, this is not a real fixed saving faith. This is a selfish, fickle, fake faith. And so the first thing that we've got to do is we've got to make sure we understand that and that we reject fake faith that only wants rewards out of Jesus. We got to reject it. We can't be like this crowd who again, as long as Jesus was feeling, feeding them, providing for them, healing them, doing things for them, they were in. But as soon as he opened his mouth and started calling them to surrender, dying to self, those kinds of things, they were gone. It's a fake faith. You know, I've seen this play out walking with Jesus now since as a young kid. And it's sad, you know, how many times, how many people have come through my life and then as I've become a pastor in, in whatever church I've been a part of, I see people come and, and they, they look like they are so excited. They'll literally say, I love this church. It's the best church this side of the Mississippi. You know, and they'll, they'll specifically even say the teaching of the word, you know, more, people, more churches need to say these things. But it's amazing how if you just press fast forward, sometimes only weeks, and as soon as they were there, they're gone. And I specifically always love to ask people, hey, I didn't notice you around. What's going on? And I've literally had people tell me things like this before. Yeah, well, you know, your church, yeah, you guys like really hold people accountable. And we just want a church where we can just come and receive. Literally have had multiple people in my ministry say things like that. That's not, that's not how true saving faith works. Saving faith is not just for what Jesus gives us. Does Jesus give us things? Absolutely. But that's not why we follow him. We follow him for real good reasons. And that's what we want to look at, right? So we reject a fake faith. Instead, we need to choose a fixed faith in Jesus Christ, a real saving faith in him. Have we done that? And so again, 2 Corinthians 13, we need to examine our faith. If you claim to be a Christian, what I want to do the rest of our time today is look at five aspects from the scriptures of what real, fixed, saving faith in Jesus looks like. And take your own life and let's match it and see if it compares in any way, shape, or form. So one of the aspects that real faith has is that we're going to believe the right truths, the right truths. All right. So in other words, what we're saying here is that it's not enough just to be sincerely committed to something in and of itself. If the thing that we're committed to and believe in is wrong, right? It's not enough just to be sincere because you can be sincerely wrong. So what we believe in, who we believe in, makes all the difference if it's going to save us or not. So in Christianity, there are some key orthodox truths that one must believe to be saved according to the gospel of Jesus. So let me just give you three of them. One, we got to believe that salvation is only found in Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus himself, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. 
No one comes to the Father, that's getting to heaven, but through who? Me. This is what we call the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. What, what Jesus taught so clearly is that I have come to give you salvation and forgiveness and fill you with the Holy Spirit, but the only way you can have it is you got to come through faith and repentance to me. What that means is all the world religions that are out there do not save you. Only Jesus Christ. We either believe it or not, but this is a fact that we must believe according to Jesus himself. Not only is it Jesus only that we must believe, but we need to believe in the right, real Jesus versus a fake, false Jesus. You're like, what? There's false ones? Absolutely. And that's what's so sad. And you say, where do those come from? They come from Satan because he's the father of what? Lies. And he knows it's only Jesus. So then he's like, well, I'm going to create false Jesuses to throw people off too, right? So I say this with all love, and I mean that. But the Jesus of Mormonism, of Jehovah's Witness, of Islam, the, they have Jesuses, but they are not the real true Jesus. They are false versions of Jesus. So let me tell you some of the facts about the real Jesus that can save us. He needs and must be a God-man Jesus. 100% God, 100% man, at the same time, dying the cross and raised from the dead. Why is that important? Because if Jesus is only God and not man, or if he's, God, if he's only man, not God, either way, he doesn't qualify to be the sacrifice for your sins and mine to be forgiven. And if we don't have a qualified sacrifice, guess what that means for you and me? We're still doomed in our sin. So it is extremely serious to make sure we have a God, man, real Jesus of the Bible and that's who we need to put our faith in. So Jesus, the only Jesus, the right Jesus. And here's the final fact about Jesus is this. It is not believing and repenting in Jesus. Plus, I need to keep doing good things myself and keep staying away from bad things myself, a.k.a. works and Jesus. Right? So here's one statement that God said in the Word. Romans 3.28, for we maintain that a man is justified or saved by faith. Now, where does works fit in? Apart from works of the law. Reading the Bible, praying, staying away from bad works, bad things, going to church, giving to the poor. All these are great things, but they don't save us. In other words, one way that we say it is this, Jesus plus anything, it'll ruin everything. Jesus plus any thinking I got to also do good works, it actually is not just wrong, it will actually disqualify us from saving real faith in Jesus. You say, what? Yeah. Galatians chapter two says it the clearest. And it says this, that if we think that we got to believe in the real Jesus, but we also have to do good works and stay away from bad ones, we nullify or cancel what Jesus did for us and we are left doomed in our sins. That's how serious it is. So it's Jesus only, the real Jesus, and not Jesus plus works. These are right facts that we must believe in order to truly be saved. So do we believe those kinds of things? Well, here's a second aspect of true fixed faith. We need to make a clear decision. It's a clear, sincere decision of mine. Where do we get this from? One place that I think sums it up really well is Romans 10, 9, 
that if we confess with our mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that's, that's how we're saved. So we got to confess Jesus is Lord, believe in our heart God raised him from the dead. Now you notice here, you confess with your mouth. Do you see that? It's not our parents' faith that saves us. It's not somebody else's faith that saves us. You know, part of my story is it was, it was a beautiful thing when God saved my parents when they were young adults. Right when I was born and, and shortly after, both my parents came to know Christ themselves. But in that fresh walking with Christ, they went back to this church and this teaching where they would baptize babies and my parents and other people thought that that was saving me. And they baptized me as a baby. But I can tell you how much confession and believing happened to me in my baptism as a baby. Zero. Zero. Instead then, thankfully, as they grew in the word and understanding these things, eventually I made my own choice to follow Christ. In fact, let me just share with you when that happened. Then when I was about five years old, and maybe this might speak to you, because sometimes I find it, some people say, well, I think I'm saved. Or maybe I ask them, are you, are you a Christian? And they'll say, well, I think I am. I've gone to church all my life. And I'll say, but when did you confess and believe in Jesus? And I go, I don't know. And so ambiguity, you don't want that either. It, there, it needs to be a clear thing that we can remember to some degree when we did it. So again, you know, my story, I grew up again in the church. But around age five, and I don't remember a lot of things at age five. I have a bad long-term memory. But you know, I actually do remember sitting on the yellow 70 couch in the 80s that my parents still had. And my mom sitting me down as a five-year-old, sharing the simple message of the gospel of Jesus, how he died for me, rose from the dead, and, and said, do you want to pray and ask Jesus to forgive you and come into your heart? And I was like, yeah. And I prayed, and it was sincere. My life's never been the same. But here's what I'm trying to say. Even though I was five, I remember it. It's clear to me. I can say when I made such a decision. And so I say this with love. If you're here today and you, you know, I ask, okay, when did you confess and believe? Can you say any idea of when and where and what that was? Because this is awfully clear. We got to confess and believe. And that's a decision we make. And there's got to be some recollection of that. Um, I'll tell you, too, what has been really awesome, too, is some of the testimonies. We're going to have baptisms in a little bit. It's been really neat to hear some of the people and their stories was exactly this, that they were asked if they were Christian. They said, well, I've always been going to church, but they really didn't have any recollection of such a decision. And then they realized that and they put their faith in Christ. And now here they are getting baptized. It's got to be clear and sincere. All right. Here's another aspect of true saving faith. We got to make sure that we receive Christ by death to self. So at that moment, when we're confessing Jesus is Lord, believing in what he did for us, we can't save ourselves. At that prayer, at that moment, there also must be an understanding that I am dying to ruling myself kind of understanding. So let me share with you some of the words of Jesus about this. He said in John 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, 
And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. What Jesus is saying here is that some things, the only way you can gain it is you got to die to it first. And that's how it works with eternal life and with ourselves. I want you to picture and imagine that in every one of our hearts is a throne in our heart. And when we're born in our sinful nature, again, talking about what's inside of us, we are on that throne. We are ruling our life. We are our own king or queen. What Jesus is saying is this. When you believe and you trust in me, you must say and mean it that you are getting off the throne of your life and you are confessing him as what? Lord, which means king. Jesus, from this day forward, I am yours. You see, the, the crowd of Jesus, this is where they fell short. They believed in him. They repented in different things like that. You see that talk. But what they clearly didn't do is surrender lordship to Jesus. And so they were just trying to add Jesus into their pocket. They wanted the best life they could get, but they didn't want to give up the ruling of their own life. And so they hung around Jesus as long as he did things for them, but they never came to the end of themselves, to die to themselves. That's, it's very important because the last I checked, there cannot be two kings in a kingdom. There can only be one, and he has to be Jesus. Have we ever made that decision? And I'll tell you, when someone does this, it will look different in their life. It will look like Jesus is their king. And I can think of so many people. I think of one guy, the last ministry I was at. It was so awesome. He was a, a man older in life. He gives his life to Christ. And in time, I mean, you just seen his life is changed. You can tell he is no longer his own king. You can tell Jesus is truly his king. Because before Sunday mornings, he was sleeping and never in church. Now, he's seeking the Lord in church. Before, he didn't give a dime to God or the church or anything. Now, he's giving generously and faithfully to the things of God. Before, he didn't want to hang out with Christians. Now he's in a family group and he loves being with God's people. Before, he didn't ever touch a Bible. He didn't care. Now he loves the word. He's learning to love it. He's studying it and memorizing it. You see what I'm saying? Like when you truly have made a decision of surrender, your life will begin to look like he's your king in so many facets. So as we evaluate ourselves, maybe we ask ourselves this question, do our actions prove that Jesus is our king? Or was it just some words coming out of our mouths? Because there should be evidence that it was a surrender. Here's a fourth aspect of true saving faith. Is we need to endure trials over time. A true follower of Jesus, someone with fixed saving faith, is going to endure trials and continue to follow Jesus. Now, perfectly, no, there's no one perfect. But overall, we're gonna continue to seek and hold on to Jesus. Instead of falling away from Jesus in trials, we're gonna cling harder and tighter to Jesus Christ because of trials. Last week, we had such a, a great reminder from Doug about the parable of the four soils that Jesus taught. And, and so let me just explain really quick what that was. You had the soils represents the hearts of people, our hearts. And then you have the seed. The seed represents the gospel of Jesus and the Bible. 
And depending on the soil, the heart of a person has different responses to the gospel, to the teachings of the Bible. Well, the one that I want to touch on here that Jesus talked, talked about is we look at this idea that true believers will endure and keep seeking after him even when trials happen. He says, it's like the gospel, the seed that falls on rocky soil. And, the, and it looks like they grow, they're saved because the plant grows and, and things are looking like they're a Christian. They say it and all this thing. But when the storm comes, that's trials, because they don't have the roots in the good soil, what happens? It falls over and they die. They give up on Christ in the midst of their trial. Jesus is saying that's a fake kind of faith. On the flip side, a true saved person. We're going to keep seeking the Lord even when it's hard. And I'll tell you, it gets hard for us, doesn't it? There's, there's an amazing story of someone who inspires me, a brother in the Lord who was seeking after the Lord, has an amazing story, testimony in that. His name is Nabil Qureshi. And he was a Muslim, hears of the true gospel of Jesus. Jesus is not just a prophet, but he's God, man who can save you. He puts his faith in him, gets radically saved, and God begins to use him to evangelize Muslims and all sorts of people around the world, partnered up with Ravi Zacharias Ministries. God is using him in just amazing ways. And at age 34, married young little girl, God chooses to allow to have him uh, terminal cancer. Was it real faith or fake? I want you to hear some of his words as he was battling this terminal cancer. I remember at various points of the journey, uh, I was encountering God. Hello everyone, this is Nabil. Wanted to give you a quick update where we are. Uh, not the best news. They think my body is in its final stages of life. And so they had suggested palliative care. And um, that's what we're doing. I could really use your prayers. If we want the Lord to come through and do a miracle, it needs to happen in the next few days. I think she is the most perfect child in the universe. Yes. Can you say yes? <laughs> Again, I'd really appreciate your prayers. Let's go ahead and pray together now. Father, we come before you, trusting you even now for a miracle. We know that John 11 uses those exact words, even now you can do a miracle. So God is able. God is more than able. And I'm just gonna rest in that as best I can. Lord, we know you are able. Please heal. Please come through. But if it shouldn't be your will, your sovereign will at the end of the day, then I trust you and I love you anyway. We praise you, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I love his prayer. 
He's rightly asking God to heal. Jesus said to ask him. But he understands that many times in the thoughts and the ways of God, his decision is not to heal us this side of eternity. And the end of his prayer is like, Lord, even if not, I'm going to keep following you. And the story is that he does end up passing away. And today he is with Jesus and he is healed there, of course. But this is real faith. Again, that when the trials come, we're not going to turn away. But we're going to turn to Jesus even through those times. And I'll tell you, I, I've been here just over a year at this church. I love you guys. I love this church. And I've had a privilege and opportunity to watch so many of you, brothers and sisters, go through your own versions and variety of trials. And you've inspired, inspired and blessed me to see how you, again, have not turned away from Christ, but you have been turning to him. And in that, you're revealing you have a real faith in the Lord. Praise God. There's one more aspect of real fixed faith, and that is this that we're going to follow Jesus even when no one else is. We're going to follow him even if other people around us aren't and maybe even persecute us. So I want to share with you some of the other words of Jesus about this as well. True believers, he's going to say this about it. He says this, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. That's not a typo. <laughs> Jesus says this, you got to hear this. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And, man, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Guys, this is the kind of hard teachings I was saying earlier that the crowd ended up turning away from Jesus. Jesus is saying, hey, if you really have surrendered your life to me, that means you will keep following me even if the closest people in your life say, we don't want anything to do with Jesus. We don't want anything to do with you. Are we going to keep following the Lord? You know, there's probably a lot of us in this room and maybe the other room as well where we have had to experience this, not that we wanted it, but because we put our faith in Jesus Christ, family, friends, coworkers, whoever it is, either our relationship is strained with them now or we don't have that friendship anymore and it's simply purely because we love Jesus, they don't and they don't like it. Raise your hand if you've ever had to go through something like this before. It is not fun. And I'm not saying that a true believer, that means it's gonna happen and if you don't haven't had it happen, then you gotta question your salvation, not saying that. But the point is, true believers, if we have to go through this, we will not just abandon Jesus because we want to keep our friends and keep our family, but we will keep seeking him because he is the one we're living for. I want to share with you an amazing story of one of our own members here in this church. Her name is Marina. She grew up in the Soviet Union, Ukraine, as a young girl to a Jew, in a Jewish family. In fact, one of her grandfathers was a Holocaust survivor. Well, when the Iron Curtain fell, uh, the family moved here to Jacksonville as a refugee family. She was about 10 years old when they moved here. Well, then there was another refugee family, a 10-year-old girl in that family from Azerbaijan. 
and their family was Muslim. And these two girls, the Jewish girl, Muslim girl, they actually become friends here in Jacksonville, about 10 years old. And this, this just gets awesome. So the, the, the Muslim friend girl, the, their family's walking on the street and some stranger gives them a children's Bible here in Jacksonville. They take it home. The girl takes it home, reads the Bible, and in the Bible is an explanation of how to put real fixed faith in Jesus. And the 10-year-old Muslim girl gives her life to Christ. She tells her family, the family persecute you, her in different forms and ways. They are irate that she gave her life to Christ. Did that stop her? No. She found a church, started going to the church. She uh, also took the gospel message, shared it with Marina, her 10-year-old Jewish friend. Marina gives her life to Christ. She goes home, tells her Jewish family her decision to follow Christ. How did that go? Not good. She gets persecution from her Jewish family. Did that stop her? No. Both girls kept going to church, kept seeking after God, 10 years old, own family rejecting them. And now you say, now, was it real? Did it last? Press fast forward decades later today. Both of these women are in their 30s, have married Christian men, and are raising their children in the ways of Jesus Christ. In fact, Marina is in this room right now. That is the power of gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is evidence of someone who didn't have a fake faith in him, but a real saving faith, even when no one else was willing to follow. Praise the Lord for such an encouragement, right? Praise the Lord. We get an opportunity today now to hear some testimonies of people who have put faith in Christ and they're gonna get baptized. So guys, go ahead and come on up here and um, we're gonna hear their stories and celebrate with them. Hello, my name is Rachel Rosenbaum and I am 18 years old. I became a Christian when I was five years old. I grew up in a Christian home and knew all about the gospel, but it did not affect me until I read a book my grandmother wrote when I was five. It brought the truth of how I was a sinner and desperately needed Christ to me in a way I had never heard before. It also brought to my attention how much Jesus loved me and what he had sacrificed to save me. After reading this, I went downstairs to my mom and asked her to help me pray to accept Jesus. I admitted that I am a sinner and need Jesus, believed that Jesus came down to earth, lived a perfect life, died on a cross, and was raised to life three days later to pay the debt that I could not pay, and I received his gift of salvation. Now I can live out a life glorifying God because he lives in me. However, I did not truly live this out until I was 13 years old. At the age of 12, an experience I had left me with really bad anxiety. I could not sleep at night or have fun. I was also extremely lonely. But one night, I stopped trying to fix it myself and gave it to the Lord. I prayed that he would take away my anxiety. That night, he answered my prayer and let me have a full night of sleep. After that moment, he helped me learn to rely on him and he took away all my fear. A scripture that helped me with this was 1 John 
There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. This reminder of how much God loves me helped me to give him my whole life. This year, God has been testing me with various trials, which have been really hard. It felt like I was losing everything and I wanted to give up. But God has used them to grow me closer to him and show me that he is all I need throughout my entire life. I strive to be closer to him now more than anything else in my life, and the joy that he gives me is unexplainable. I want to be baptized today because I want to give God everything in my life and tell everyone about his amazing love, which really does cast out fear and bring immense joy. Ephesians 2 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. All right, Rachel, um, I know your parents are super proud of you um, because of your profession of faith that you just made, um, placing faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It is my privilege, my honor uh, to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You've been buried with him in baptism, and she's been raised to walk in the newness of life. Through the sun sets free, oh, is free. Hello, my name is Elisha Rosenbaum. Before I, and I'm 13 years old. Before I became a Christian, I felt lonely, empty, and I knew I was a sinner. I had always thought myself a Christian, but I had never really known Christ. I viewed reading my Bible as a chore and praying as too much of a labor. One night when I was 10, I was praying for, with my family in my little brother's room. My older brother revealed to me that I hadn't accepted Christ into my life. At that moment, I decided I wanted Christ to fill the emptiness and loneliness in my life. I went to talk with my sister in her room and asked her how to become a child of God. In return, she gave me a book given to her by our grandmother. It explained the steps to becoming a Christian, which are admit, believe, and receive. I said her prayer to accept Christ with my sister and went to my mother, who also prayed with me. Ever since that night, my life has belonged to the Lord. I feel contented to know the Lord is with me, and I feel filled with Jesus. I am no longer disinterested in prayer, and I enjoy reading the Bible. Christ has changed and is still changing my life for the better. A favorite Bible verse of mine is Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. This reminds me that it is through nothing I have, am, or will do that even remotely affects my salvation. It is only Jesus that can save. I want to get baptized this morning to take the next step in obeying the Lord. And therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. You know, I love that verse, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. What a powerful testimony. Uh, Elijah, because of your profession of faith that you just made, uh, proclaiming that you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It is my privilege and honor, I know your parents are super proud of you, to baptize you, here we go, in, um, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, you've been buried with him in baptism, and he's been raised to walk in the newness of life. Let's sing it again. the sun sets free, always free. My name is Georgia Allen, and for those of you here today, I am choosing to be baptized as an act of obedience to the Lord. 
an act of worship and thanksgiving for what he has done for me. Mm. This decision did not come easy for me because I was baptized as a baby. I grew up a Christian, so why now am I choosing to be baptized? Good question. As I matured into my faith in my teen years and early adulthood, the focus of my walk migrated from Jesus as my Lord and Savior to me, myself, and I. How much better at being a Christian I was than the next person. How kinder I was. How I knew the Bible better. Where the Holy Spirit should have been indwelling in my heart, my own pride dwelled. This detrimental habit hmm, continued in 2015 when my pride just about killed my marriage. You're making it worse. Oh, sorry. <laughs> hmm. Okay, I was at the end of what I could do for me, and I was unable to fix the gaping holes that existed between my husband and myself. As a last resort, we sought out biblical counseling at the Hope Center, and God used my counselors to refocus and center my marriage, but more importantly, my life around him. I was told that my heart was hardened towards the Lord and that I needed to do some intense prayer for a softening to occur. I was like, what? <laughs> but through the counseling process and the loving truth shared, I learned to love my husband well and how to be a submissive wife. And I soon began to treat love and think of others better than I thought loved and treated myself. Philippians 2 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. I learned how to properly ask for forgiveness, and that forgiveness is not about me and the other person, but is an, is an act, an example of Christ's love for us. That he would choose to become flesh, choose to live a perfect life, a life without sin, and choose then to take our wrath upon him on the cross. A wrath we did not deserve, but chose. I learned that when Christ died that day, he took my sin with him and buried it, and therefore, making me a new creation in him, I am raised to life with him. 2 Corinthians 5.17 makes that clear, and it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Amen. Sorry, it's long. Paul writes in Romans, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good according to his purpose. All my struggles, all my pain, all my lost time loving my husband correctly, and every bit of it, God was working together for his good. And I can look back on those years and smile because I see the Lord's hand at work. He needed me to be at my end so I could reach for his beginning, his help. And for those of you who do not know me, I wanna end my testimony by enlightening you with the fact that the Lord has stuck by his promises of goodness and mercy and that my husband and I celebrated seven years of marriage this past June. We also welcomed our third child in August. And while we are not perfect by any means, we know that we have a God that is. And I am choosing to be baptized once again as a public profession of my obedience to a loving and gracious God, a God that never left me and was always patient and ready to be my all. Verses 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Amen. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, 
who loved me, gave himself for me. Georgia, because of your profession and faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, I know that it is an absolute privilege and a pleasure for your husband, Gabe, to baptize you. You have been buried with him in baptism, and she is raised to walk a newness of life. Mascara's running, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, hello, my name is Gabe Allen, and um, if you had told me a few years ago that I'd be standing here today about to be baptized, I would have probably smiled politely and given you a funny or witty comment. Um, but not that it was rude, because I thought I was good. I thought I was a good person, um, and so for me to be up here right now is only by God's great grace. Worse than my wife, I apologize. Uh, and the spirit moving in my life and softening my heart to receive the gospel. Um, I was baptized as a child and grew up in a Christian home. Nothing special there. Um, I did all the regular Christian kid things by going to Sunday school and um, almost every youth event that was offered. But something was still missing. I did what the Christian child should do publicly. Um, I was really good at putting on a facade to those around me and did my best by, uh, just to get by and blend into the Christian crowd. And as I grew into my teenage years, I wish I could say that my faith grew stronger, and, um, however it didn't. Um, I attempted to keep up the appearance of, uh, of a Christian and did what I thought was right um, and what I thought people wanted to see. Uh, this continued up until 2015, until my marriage was failing. I was further from living a life that glorified Christ than I had ever been. I was living in a glass house built on sand with a hurricane on the horizon. With the last ditch effort to fix our marriage, we attended the Hope Center. Our counselor addressed our sins and addressed me and told me that I needed to fix things. Um, he shared the gospel with me in a way that I'd never heard before. He encouraged me and walked with me, helping me place my faith in Christ and submitting to the Lord. Oh, man. This is so hard. <laughs> he is the Lord of my life, and I can say that with confidence. With the counselor's wisdom, he helped me center my life on Christ and be a personal life, and in my personal life and in my marriage. It is by God's great grace that he helped me learn my role as a husband and based on the truth of the scripture, to be a learner, lover, and a leader. Oh, man. Oh, this is so calm. Uh, the Spirit convicted me to be humble and to ask for forgiveness for my wife and for my friends and family. 
It has become more and more apparent that I was living a life that was filled with sin, but now I can rejoice in the hope that has been found in Christ Jesus. I'm no longer a slave to sin and to death, and he has, oh man, he has made me perfect in my father's eyes. The chains have been broken, and I can say I'm free. Oh, oh man. I love saying this hallelujah for the cross and for the death he died for me bearing my sin and taking what was meant for me first Thessalonians 2:12 says so that you would walk in a more in a manner worthy of God who calls you to his own kingdom and glory I'm choosing to be baptized as an act of obedience to the Lord and display my love for Christ In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. Amen. Gabe, <laughs> I'm proud of your obedience, but you know the Lord is proud of your obedience too. It's not easy, but you know what? He's proud of you, and for that we are too. Amen. Gabe, it is a privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You have been buried with him in baptism, and you are raised to walk in new life. Who the Son sets free, oh, is So proud of each of you who have made this declaration. You made it not in a fake way, an insincere way. It's coming from your hearts. It's real. It's real faith in Christ. And uh, what a model for all of us. I, uh, you know, I, I don't want to just have us sit here and look at the word in the scriptures and see that we need to examine ourselves and then not give an opportunity for maybe some response. Maybe, maybe there's those who came today, and I'm really glad you're here. You have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ until today. You had never heard that you're a sinner and, and that you can't save yourself, but Jesus came in love and died for you, rose from the dead so you can be forgiven once for all. You've never heard that before. But as you've heard that, and you've heard about what it takes to really receive that belief and repentance in Jesus, you're saying, that's me, I want Jesus today. If that's you, I'm gonna give an opportunity to, for you to pray in just a minute. Then there might be those who have come to really directly what Jesus is saying some of these things where we came in claiming to be a Christian, but as we humbly examine our faith according to these aspects of true saving faith, and we're honest with ourselves and God, we might be saying, you know what? I don't think I had real faith. I think it was a fake version. But now when I hear what it really is, I want it. I want to know that I'm a child of God. I want to surrender my life, not try to add him in, but surrender my life to Jesus Christ. If that's you, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer as well in just a minute. And finally, there may be some of us who are believers. We know it, there's no question to it, but in a way we've been crawling back up on the throne of our heart. And we need to recommit our life to the Lord in some way today. I'm gonna to lead in a prayer in just a minute. So, would all of us, you'd be willing, just close your eyes with me. 
And for those in the first two groups, either you came, you've never heard the gospel, but you're wanting to ask Jesus into your life, or maybe uh, those others that you did claim, but now you're realizing it was fake, you wanna make it real. Just say this quietly between you and Jesus. Say, Jesus, I believe in you as my savior and my Lord. I confess I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me and raising from the dead. Put your Holy Spirit in me, I pray. From this day forward, you are my King. In Jesus' name, amen. And for the others who you are my brothers and sisters, and yet you feel a need to recommit your life to the Lord, maybe say something like this. Jesus, you know that I'm your child, but you also know that in this way, or in that way, I've been crawling back up on the throne of my heart. And I just confess that to you today. Jesus, have your way in me. Once again, I recommit my life to you. And I will follow you. No turning back. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll
Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls us, and he also will bring it to pass. Thank you so much for being here. Hope you have a blessed day. We'll see you next week.